Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth. Good to have you along with us as we get set for another day of Looking ahead to the Orange and Duke Friday night in Omaha for the Sweet 16. Still uh, hard to imagine. A lot of people walking around. Can Syracuse beat Duke? Well, the odds are long, but they were awfully long against Michigan State as well. And looking to see if they can overcome it for the second consecutive time. As we transition through the week, we'll spend more of our time getting into the matchup with uh, the Orange and Duke, which would be a rematch. Mike Krzyzewski on the uh, Golik and Wingo program this morning on ESPN Radio talking about uh, what you'd have to say from the Duke perspective. This Syracuse team is much improved. It's different than the Duke, the, the Syracuse team that Duke beat in January 60-44. to 44. Mike Krzyzewski, his exact quote was, we're not playing them in January. We're playing them in March. And you look at what the Orange have done, uh, the historic start to the tournament, by winning three games by scoring less than 60 points to do it. First team that's done that since Roly Massimino's national championship team back in 1985 that started off the tournament that way. And then, of course, they clicked offensively in the national championship game, beating Georgetown, shooting nearly 80% as a team, which is completely unheard of. We'll visit with Chris Spatola of uh, ESPN, among other outlets. Uh, later in the show, Chris has covered... Uh, college basketball uh, up and down the East Coast. He happens to be uh, well-connected to uh, Duke, but uh, that's not really the reason we're having him on, but uh, part of an opportunity to uh, get his overview on the tournament, the Sweet 16, what Syracuse has done, and put it into some uh, perspective and context related to what's happening elsewhere around the country. In the booth brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Good to have them along for the ride as well. Exciting time of the year for everybody involved. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do that at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44 if you'd like to uh, be with us on the show. thought at the end of the show we would get a little feel for what Omaha is all about with my friend Marty Cordero. Marty and I uh, worked together 100 years ago in the minor league baseball world. He is the general manager of the uh, Omaha Storm Chasers, the uh, AAA farm club with the uh, Kansas City Royals. And we'll get uh, Marty's take on just uh, what we're getting into for those that are traveling to Omaha. Don't know how many actually are. I know the ticket allotment sold out quickly. The ticket allotment is not exactly huge at uh, this time of year, um, but uh, – Certainly no trouble selling those tickets, and we know that Orange Nation is excited and looking uh, forward to the game. So uh, temperatures in the low 60s, looking forward to that and to getting a feel for Omaha and uh, all it has to offer. It's a, a perennial College World Series host, as people that know uh, college baseball to any degree are uh, well aware. That's one of the sports that has a fixed uh, championship location, and they've done a great job with that for years and years. They've got, in fact, separate stadiums, and we'll uh, talk about that uh, as we roll along 
with uh, Marty a little bit later in the show. But uh, I think right now, one of the most important topics is how do you transition out of sort of the surprise and overcome it into the actual tactical preparation for your next game and the new most important game of the season. And for Syracuse, they've already had to do that once. Weren't even in the tournament on Selection Sunday afternoon. Had to be bracing for missing the tournament altogether. Then you get in and whack. You are now ready to, uh, you know, there's really no time to think about it. It was immediately preparing for travel to Dayton, meeting Arizona State, beat them, beat TCU, beat Michigan State, all on a roll here. And now it's a chance for the first time, really, uh, to have the players rest, recover, and get back at it. And the stretches between games here are actually, in some cases, longer than what you might have in the regular season, getting back Sunday evening and then turning around to uh, take on uh, Duke at what will be pushing 10 o'clock Eastern time on Friday night from Omaha. So more on that in a bit. Your phone call is always welcome at 437-7644, ESPN 44. Steve in North Syracuse starts us off for a change. Hello, Steve. Hi. Uh, I, I do have a couple of observations. First, on uh, uh, what it might take to, to beat Duke, but I also have a question that I've been asking several of the radio shows, and I thought I'd uh, ask you as sure. well. Uh, about, the, about the Duke game, uh, we always seem to attack the zone from the front, and uh, whoever does that immediately gets double teamed, and that's why we don't seem to make much progress. I would like to see uh, the ball go from the front over to the side. Maybe you could have Battle out front and Howard to the side, and from there enter it into the high post with uh, with, with Dolaje, because that's often the key to unlocking the zone, uh, even though, uh, according to Jim Baham, we only shoot 22% from there. <laughs> Uh, and I would also like to see uh, more movement from everybody on the team. If you're not moving, your defender's not moving, and it's the movement of the defenders that creates the open lanes. And so having four guys stand there with four guys next to them who can then leave them to to uh, guard whoever has uh, has the ball in the ISO doesn't seem to work very well uh against uh, Duke's zone. So if we could get more movement and attack the zone from the side, I think we'd be more successful. You might have an idea there. I, I, I think uh, two things about your point, Steve. One, I, I remember talking with Coach Bayham, and I'm trying to remember what game brought up this topic uh, relatively recently, but he feels as though they are a good passing team against the zone and that they do a quality job of moving the ball, therefore moving and stretching the defense. You don't typically see it when Syracuse is playing against man-to-man because you know their offense is to set up for the drive, so they're, they're not going to get a lot of assists. That's the reason that they're uh, last in the country in assists because they're really kind of going for uh, dribble penetration there, and it's really only going to be three players that do that uh, with kind of their heels on the three-point line and going from there. The other thing is I think teams, one of the approaches – against a zone, I'm not saying the Syracuse zone because I think it backfires, is to attack from the short corner. So to get the ball off the lane, you know, between the block and the the actual corner and then have maybe a different vantage point in passing into the paint, 
I think that typically has not worked against the Syracuse zone because they almost invite the ball in there because it now becomes a trap area. Right. And uh, I don't know that Duke has necessarily copied that aspect of it. I think you probably don't want to put yourself in position to be walled off by the size that uh, Duke has in the interior with Bagley and Carter, uh, who are extraordinary players and long players. So uh, we will see. But the, the very idea that this is two zone teams going at it, I think, is interesting. The element of surprise won't be there at all. If Syracuse's defense is going to keep up, it's going to keep up with execution, uh, not because it's surprise. Well, we'll let them figure that out. Hopefully they will. Here, here, here's the question that came up. We had a debate on the SyracuseFan.com board about whether we would rather have Virginia's season where they were all conquering through the season and had this incredible run to the ACC and then had this horrible first-round defeat, or would we rather have Syracuse's season where we bounced around for three months and never really put together much of a winning streak, but uh, then we got into the NCAA tournament and suddenly uh, we're, we're winning games and we're having this run and it's also exciting at the end of the season. Uh, and uh, firstly, my, my view is that I value the regular season as much as the postseason because I think it's a better test of a team. And if you have a really strong regular season, then you uh, uh, get to enjoy it for three months, not just a couple of weeks. Uh, we also had a Virginia fan on the board. So I asked him to weigh in on this, and uh, he, he said he would much rather have had Syracuse's season. Even with all the losses and, and, and frustrations, he'd rather be still going in the tournament than to have had such a great regular season lost in the first round. It's kind of like uh, we've had three number one ranked teams in this decade. We've had two Final Four teams, and those are five different teams. They were all great, memorable seasons, but which which do you prefer? And I think I had more fun with the number one ranked teams because they were so good for so long, and I got such pleasure out of that. Uh, what do you think about that? No, it's a great question, great debate. I uh, heard you uh, talking about it with Steve and Seth yesterday, and uh, here, here's my first thought. Number one, the Virginia fan that said that is saying that coming off a stunning kick in the you-know-what loss. And Virginia now probably doesn't want to be known as upset you, but you could argue they have suffered the two biggest upsets in college basketball history. They're the only one seed to have lost to a 16, and when they were number one in the country, they lost in Hawaii to Shamanad, who has no business beating anybody uh, like in, in division, one, yeah. you know, with uh, with Ralph Sampson back in the day, um, I think I'm mostly with you, Steve, with a little bit of an asterisk. I t- totally agree with the idea that when you are good over the long haul, you have demonstrated more than being good in the tournament. I do think there's various shades of gray and different ways to look at this. Jim Beheim and I agree with this. He says, "Hey, when you are." a major program, a good team, or a good program, the tournament is what determines it. So this feels like an unfulfilling year for Virginia, even though they have had a spectacular year by every measure except for the one game. Uh, For Syracuse, who is a good program but not its best team, this feels very fulfilling to have won three tournament games and to, you know, what's the payoff? Well, it's this time of year. It's the attention. It's the feeling like you're part of the biggest thing going. When Syracuse made the Final Four in 2016, 
my eyes were open more than ever before, and we had just been there in 2013, to just how much swings. When you lose that Elite Eight game, your season comes to a crashing halt. You go home, and you're in despair. When you win, your phone rings off the hook. Your fan base, your alumni is excited. You're talked about on television for a week. The hotel is wrapped in your colors. There's a lot of really cool things that come from winning in the tournament, and that's what power programs are measured on. And, and of course, we're, we're playing under very little pressure because we're not supposed to be able to do any of this. And they were under great pressure because they're supposed to play like the number one team. And we might be in their position a year from now if next year's team is as good as it, it looks like it could be. Agreed. Got, got to let you uh, run here, Steve. We appreciate that as we move along. It's a great debate. We can uh, revisit it. I'll tell you what, when you're the number one team in the country and Syracuse has been that, when you walk into games knowing you're going to win, that's a pretty cool feeling. It just that time of year, the nation isn't paying attention to college basketball the way that the the region is. You don't have quite the same spoils and fun part. And it's one of these things where you really don't have the choice. You know, for the Virginia fan on the fan forum, he's talking about to say, oh, we'd rather have a tournament game than to have been number one most of the year. Well, that's not a choice you have. Of course you're going to say that when you're in that position because it's the one thing you don't have. When Mount St. Mary's or UMBC says, oh, we'd rather have you know had this historic tournament win than have had a better season, no kidding. They're not capable of having a season uh, during the four or five months of the year that's going to get your attention. It, Vermont had a tremendous year. They just happened to be beaten by UMBC twice, including in the, the conference tournament. You don't know a thing about Vermont this year or the season that they had, and you're not thinking about them. But had Vermont been in that same spot and beaten Virginia, uh, now it would be a, a really big deal. So the tournament really means a lot. There's power programs. There's the haves and the have-nots. They certainly look about things different ways, but uh, it's fun to discuss. We'll maybe throw that in front of Chris Spatola when we come back. Chris from ESPN, the Athletic, Sirius XM, ACC channel, and much more. He'll be our guest in the booth when we continue on ESPN Radio Syracuse. NCAA tournament coverage is brought to you by IBEW NECA, CNS Companies, and Burdick Lexus on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Travel day tomorrow, so no show, we don't believe. I'm sure, that'll break the hearts of many. Around uh, the block, at least. And we welcome in Chris Spatola, who never takes a day off. Chris, you're working more than we ever thought possible. What, what's happening? <laughs> that, is that well, what makes you so, uh, so angry? Meet. Uh, my wife comes from money, so I'm trying to, you know, I, there's a lot to live up to. Uh, you know the back the backstory on that. So, yes. uh, you know, I got a lot of pressure on me here, Matt. That's right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing your family uh, here later in the week. Um I was going to let you vent because I know you, you've got a lot of pent up this week. You, you've put it out on your various outlets. Should we do that at the beginning or the end of the segment here? How long, how long do you need to sort of clear the mechanism? I've learned it's always better at the beginning, brother. All right. So I'll just give you 30 seconds. You want to just tear into, you know, Virginia and Memphis or what? <laughs> well, the, the uh, tearing in, in, in defending Virginia, I, I did in the, uh, the article in The Athletic today. So I, I just take a little perspective on a program that, uh, you know, the, the system is good enough to, to win the ACC by four games, and yet somehow the, the referendum is it's not good enough to win 
six games in March. Uh, so anyway, so I've, I've done enough on that. And, and, you know, the Memphis thing, Matt, I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that a school that's hemorrhaging money is going to use financial cover as a rationale to, to, to fire Tubby Smith, the guy that they recruited to come to come to Memphis, told them they didn't, they're not looking for a quick fix, potentially going to the Big 12. He wins 40 games in two years. Uh, and then basically they're scheming behind his back to bring in Penny Hardaway. I mean, look, I, I'm not disillusioned by the business. I get it. But uh, it doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to call bad business bad business. And so that, that was one that really got me a little bit. Good, man. I'm, you got me all fired up. <laughs> deep deep breaths now. Here's uh, Coach Beheim uh, Among the opportunities he took in the past week to run to the defense of Tony Bennett, which he also admitted he didn't need to do. That group of people, if there really is a group like that, probably are unemployed and or uh, idiots, never went to school. Or they're really, really smart lawyers and doctors that think they know everything and really, in reality, probably know what they're doing and know nothing else. You know, Tony Bennett's in my top two or three coaches in the country by far. Unfortunately, in our business, it's all about the tournament when you're a good team. When you just get in, like now, I'm a great coach. I'm no better than I was two weeks ago. But, oh, well, he, you know, he won two games. Oh, wow, he must be really good. No, he, no, nothing to do with that. There, There's your boy on uh, how programs are viewed. And it kind of comes up, we just had a caller with the debate, Chris, would you rather have Virginia's season or Syracuse's? And uh, obviously the NCAA tournament is how a lot of people measure it, but you can't discount what uh, UVA did. Well, I mean, the thing is, Matt, I mean, look at the 11 years before he took over there uh, under Pete Gillen and, and Dave Lato. Virginia wins 181 games. That's 11 years. He's been there nine years. He's won 219. I mean, that's two full seasons less. They won 20 games. In 11 years under those two guys, Virginia won 20 games twice. In nine years, they've won 20 games six times, three of which were 30-win seasons. They won 17 games this year. They've done the ACC regular season three of the last five years. I mean, look, there is not a fan base, an athletic director, a coach who would not kill for that type of a record. And and Coach Beheim is absolutely spot on. And maybe this is the former coach in me who, who has some perspective on this. But we, we've lost our minds if we're going to boil the college basketball season and a coach's performance that, that runs, you know, four and a half months long. If we're going to boil that down to a three-week tournament in which you know the format is one and done, I just I, I, I reject that on its face, and it's completely illogical. You know, like when Virginia loses, they blame the system, and it's completely illogical to me that a, a program that could again win 31 games in the regular season, 14 of those wins came against teams that played in the NCAA tournament field. That system was good enough to win all those games, and yet you're telling me that it's the system that you know, has to do with these flameouts. I, I just, to, to me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, agreed. And it's interesting to see Syracuse and uh, Virginia kind of put in the same boat when you look at teams yeah. that have won by dominating on defense. I think Syracuse is legitimately limited uh, offensively and has some issues. I don't know that Virginia necessarily has issues. They just didn't answer the bell on that particular day. It's kind of the one hiccup they've had defensively, and we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about uh, Virginia, but for what has happened with Syracuse is they've been able to find a way to play toward their strength and away from their weaknesses. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, again, you talk about a system. I mean, like that two, three zone has, and it's, and it's different. I mean, you know, this better than I do, but it's my read on it. It's different than it, than it was when he first started coaching a two, three zone it's evolved and it, it has become such a, you know, what's amazing to me, Matt, is that the conventional wisdom against two, three zone is that you're going to get open threes and you're going to have an opportunity to take those. And, you know, TCU and, and, um, uh, geez, I'm blanking Mich- out. Who they Michigan just State. Uh, Michigan State, obviously. Yeah. I mean, those two teams are combined 11 of 54 from three. And what it, what it leads me to, to believe is that, A, these teams think those shots are open more than they really are. And I think a lot of teams, the conventional wisdom is to think that those shots are going to be there. And there's not a team in the country, I mean, both with the eye test or statistically, that defends the three-point line better than Syracuse does. And so I think you, they, they get these teams to fall into a trap. And if you don't have somebody in the middle of that thing that's capable of making plays, um, and even if you do, they can still guard that, uh, it's very tough to prepare for. And it's, it's one of those things where you get into an NCAA tournament and teams that aren't accustomed to seeing it, uh, it's tough. I mean, it's very, very hard to prepare for. North Carolina, Duke, Pittsburgh over the years seem to have had uh, the type of personnel and approach that has done a little bit better against the zone. It just so happens that the Oranges' next game is against Duke on Friday. We'll get into that with uh, Chris Spatola here in a moment. Chris is with uh, ESPN and The Athletic and SiriusXM's ACC channel. And wanted to hit you on just one big-picture thing, Chris, before we maybe got back into the game a little bit. The... The idea, the beauty of this tournament, and, and I kind of woke up this morning you know, starting to think about it a little bit. One of the great things about it is if you went back to 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, last Sunday, probably 75 teams thought they had a chance you know, to be in the tournament or to make the Sweet 16 or whatever. And in one week's time, that's all settled out. Obviously, you know, a handful of them don't make the tournament in the first place and they're crushed on Sunday night. Then you've got Tuesday and Wednesday in Dayton, and then the Thursday Friday is just epic. And you know you can see why CBS pays a lot of money for this product because it's uh, absolutely compelling television. It is compelling te- television. The emotion is not fake. Uh, it's young people, and you know it's families. I mean, now I could do less with the crying kids in the in the stands, but the emotion in the in the stands it's a great visual for TV. The, the whole thing is genuine. It's it's raw emotion that you you can't manufacture. The other thing that, that is, I don't know if people necessarily understand who, who aren't around it, Matt, is like you go into that game, whatever game you're playing, first, second round, third, whatever it is, whatever game you're playing, you, have, you are going in expecting to win, obviously. You have no idea that your season could end on that very day. And so the immediacy, what always struck me when we lost in the tournament when I was at Duke it was – well, holy mackerel, our season's over. And in like in a matter of a 40-minute game, you go from, you know, a four-and-a-half-month ride that you anticipate continuing, and all of a sudden it's over. And I think that's where the, the emotion comes from. That's why you get – like that's why, again, not to belabor the Tony Bennett point, but the way that he handled his post-game interview versus some of these others. The way that, you know, these, these sometimes those moments on the dais in the press conference are, are some of the best because of the emotion that's expended uh, on both sides, positive and negative. Yeah, you saw you can't that manufacture. Kevin Willard at Seton Hall, Chris Mack at Xavier. Yeah. In particular, you know, if you're a number one seed, you're packing your bags for the Sweet 16. I don't care who you are. Obviously, coaches will say one game at a time and everything else. And when you're stopped short of that, 
it's not only disappointing, it's humiliating to a stretch. You know, you're, uh, there's a lot that goes on. And, and I would know from my own selfish involvement, and I'm, you know, I'm not on the team, I'm not in the arena, so to speak. It's such a sudden, even if you're bracing for it, you know, we were all bracing. I thought Syracuse was going to lose the game Sunday with four minutes to go when they led. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yeah. it's a complete game changer in terms of how you're spending the next week, the way that game played out. And whenever they do lose, you know, you go from 70 miles an hour to, to zero in a hurry. And uh, again, that's part of the, the beauty of it, the, the yin and yang. You know, let's touch on your experience coaching, uh, not only being involved in the Duke staff, but what you've seen in other places. I heard Coach K this morning talk about how he spends this week. And I think there has to be some sort of value in the experience transitioning from the first weekend to the second. Coach Beheim's now made the Sweet 16 15 times, you know, since it uh, went to this many teams back in the mid 80s. And Kay's been there obviously a hundred times. He said it helps that the guys are back in school, and that w- would apply with both of these uh, institutions this week because of the structure. And they don't really practice, you know, super hard to avoid contact or, or some sort of, you know, late in the season injury that would uh, obviously uh, hurt you. How, how do you think he views it? Yeah, I, you're hitting on a point that I think is is under discussed, but is a critical element to the tournament. And and I said it after you know we had so many upsets in the first round, and I said it after UMBC won, after Buffalo won, after Loyola won, uh, even after Houston won, uh, Marshall won. Like those teams won, but if, if if you want to and expect to win that second round game, how you handle the 48 hours in between is critical. And it's a balance for a coach, especially of these programs that don't get attention. Uh, you know, it's a balance between staying within your routine. And again, sometimes you have to have been through it to know what the right routine is. Uh, but it's a balance between getting exposure for your kids in your program and also staying within your locker room and in, and in your routine to try to win the follow on game. The, the week in between is no different. And I think, you know, guys like Beheim and, and Krzyzewski who, who understand all of the external elements that are at play, and you know this, Matt, like you think the attention's big for first and second round. I mean, when you get to Sweet 16 Elite Eight, it becomes a monster of a microscope. And so to have folks who – you cannot be uh, overstated. To have guys, coaches, who have been through all of that – and players helps, obviously – it is critical because you're hitting on a big, big part of the NCAA tournament. I would say this to the Syracuse fan base who who may notice this but not really know what goes into it. And again, Coach Beheim's used to this routine, uh, Coach Krzyzewski even more so. Beheim was on every talk show in America on Monday, right? Yeah. I know he was on ESPN. I know he was on Dan Patrick. Had to have been on Sirius. He did. His phone rings off the hook off that Michigan State game. Well, he says yes. He does it. He takes care of it. It's done. You won't see him anywhere on Wednesday. Yeah. Right? No. He, know, and, he knows and what he's doing. The same way. Yeah, I mean, you said it, brother. It, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was an off day for the players and, and interesting stuff. All right, last thing, just a quick thought on the game. Uh, Kay says this morning, you know, we're not playing Syracuse in January. We're playing them in March. It's a much improved Syracuse team, which it is. They're on an incredible defensive run. And you've seen it, Chris. Somebody's first time in Cameron, you know, Marek Dolajai. He's never had an experience like that. And even O'Shea Brissett and some of the other guys, they came up small in the game at Cameron, and they've been huge on neutral floors, and even in Detroit, for that matter, against Michigan State in the tournament. 
Well, there's a psychological element of beating a team that you trying to beat a team that you just beat. And I think especially for young players, getting over that psychological hurdle, no matter how much you tell them how good Syracuse is and how well they're playing and they have good players and all that, uh, you know, they just beat them. And so I think there's there's that psychological hurdle. Um, I do think that the stage, you know, for both teams, you've got a lot of guys who haven't been on that stage before. I think that's a big, big factor. Um, and then, you know, look, if I think if you're Syracuse and, and tempo was such a big, big part of them taking Michigan State out of what they wanted to do. If You know, I think there's to some degree if Syracuse could play the game in lead boots, they probably would <laughs> uh, keep it down to a 15 possession game if they could. Um you know, Duke has played well when those guards make shots and when those guards take care of the ball. And if, if you know, you allow Duvall to, to be a creator, especially in the open floor, um, if, if he's low turnover, if he gives you a, a three or two, if, if Trent, you know, comes out firing like he did against Rhode Island, if Grayson Allen's making shots, that's when Duke becomes the best team in the country. And we have seen it. You know, I thought they're coming off, Matt, their most complete game. Like, we've seen them in stretches and games be the best team in the country. We've also seen them not be able to walk and chew gum. I thought against Rhode Island, they played their most complete game, wire to wire. That was the best version of Duke. Um, so I think, you know, look, Syracuse will do what they do. I think both teams are going to play the zone, obviously, and, and I think tempo is, is a big, big part of it. But if you allow those guards to get off, you know, because Carter and, ba- and Bagley are going to do what they do, and, and cer- certainly their size is a factor, um, you're going to have to play it relatively even on the glass. But if you allow those guards to get off for Duke, that's when Duke goes to another level. Amen. They put up 87 points against the solid uh, Rhode Island team last time out. Chris, great stuff as always. Uh, continued success to you, and we'll talk again, okay? All right, Matt. You're the best. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Chris Spatola from uh, The Athletic. who just uh, picked up that gig as well as uh, Sirius XM, uh, the ACC channel, and uh, call some games on ESPN. Back with Do We Care with Joe next as we roll along in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. The NFL facing even more competition. We already know about Vince McMahon relaunching the XFL in 2020. Now we're learning about the Alliance of American Football. That league is being spearheaded by Charlie Ebersole, who directed a 30 for 30 about the XFL that aired just a couple of months ago. Ebersole's league would launch in February 2019 and will run for 10 weeks with 50-man teams. And this is somewhat interesting, I guess. Uh, Charlie Ebersole would be the son of uh, Dick Ebersole, who's a TV giant. Dick Ebersole and Vince McMahon, I believe, are very tight. And uh, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish here. To me, if you have somebody who's in, invested in some mission to take on the NFL or provide an alternative, you're best pooling your resources and having one good shot at it. Having two other minor leagues, they're going to – struggle with one another there's just aren't enough players to go around and unless they're really providing something different i don't know what they're accomplishing here miami and denver had a match that was so competitive it actually broke the stats system not really but the system did crash during the first of two overtime periods and although it's not unusual for a stat system outage nba officials say this was worse than usual yeah no idea what's going on there 149 141 miami uh won the heat over the Nuggets in double overtime. 
can't imagine it's anything to get uh, terribly concerned about. <laughs> and police in Indiana had a pretty easy time finding a bank robber because the suspect took a cab to and from the bank. Police say 19-year-old Derek Feria actually paid the cabbie with some of the stolen money. Well, he had a little extra. That's interesting. He took it to the bank. That's probably not a first. From the bank. So the cabbie waited. I wonder, was the meter running while he was in there <laughs> robbing the bank? That's that's pretty interesting. Um, so he obviously doesn't have Uber or Lyft. I guess not. We took Lyft a lot in uh, Detroit on this trip. We were kind of removed from the hotel. I'm a huge fan of the, uh, the ride-sharing thing. You get all different kinds of folks and cars and vehicles and no fuss, no muss. Very easy. Uh, had my Lyft driver get lost, actually, on the pickup uh, the other day. But I do uh, swear by the service and maybe good enough to rob a bank with. There you go. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. All right. When we come back, we're going to uh, learn some stuff about Omaha with uh, Marty Cordero. He's the uh, president and general manager of the uh, AAA baseball team in Omaha. He's been there a long time. Give us a little bit of the lay of the land when we come back. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Chuku for a three-point lead. No, it's around the rim and off. Langford with two. One second. Winston, half quarter for the win. No! And the Orange see their way through to Omaha. And the Sweet 16 this weekend games Friday. And if the Orange knock off Duke, which would again be improbable, they would move on to take on the winner of Friday's Kansas-Clemson game on Sunday. And thought we'd get the uh, Omaha Chamber of Commerce report from our friend Marty Cordero. He's the president and general manager of the Omaha Storm Chasers, AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals out there in the Pacific Coast League. And a uh, friend, and it's been a while, Marty, and, and looking forward to uh, seeing you and uh, checking out your fine city later this week. Matt, Matt, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great, man. You tell me. I, we're looking forward to the temperature in the 60s, I see, and... Get a good piece of yeah. meat out there somewhere. You know, you can get you can get whatever you want in Omaha. Omaha is really a still a hidden gem, and I really didn't know that before October of 2006 when I moved here. Well, it's exciting, and you've done uh, great work with the baseball team. Looking forward to that. We actually, you know, when things are progressing in the tournament, I don't know that I'm necessarily superstitious by nature, but during the tournament time, when you know you lose and go home, you got to make some things, uh, make some accommodations. I might have to wear the same socks for a third straight game. That's that's one little thing I don't need to talk a great deal about. But we uh, in these <laughs> in these uh, cities so far for the tournament, Marty, uh, a friend of mine is involved with the Dayton Dragons in the Midwest League. They're one of the class uh, minor league baseball organizations. They've sold out every game for years. So we went to check out their stadium and get a tour. And then the next round games are in Detroit, which is right down the street from Comerica Park, and had to walk around the, the park there and, and check that out prior to the uh, Michigan State game on Sunday. And so now we're going to have to get at least one ballpark tour, and, and your city we've got two to choose from. Well, I can take you to Warner Park. Um, Looking forward you know, to it. Home of the Storm Chasers. And, you know, uh, I, I assume they'll have something set up for the downtown ballpark, but Man, I tell you what, you've been to great facilities, and you know most people don't know that Dayton holds the all-time professional sports record for most consecutive sellouts. They're 500 in front of the Portland Trailblazers, and the Trailblazers <laughs> sold out for however, however many years. But you know, we're looking looking forward to hosting you. I, I understand the superstition bit. I'm in Kansas City. My brother's a, a coach of LSU Alexandria, and I'm worried the same as that closed tonight. 
for his national tournament title tilt. So whatever you need to do to be superstitious, keep the mojo going. Keep the mojo going for Syracuse. Love it. NAIA uh, championship there in, in KC as it has been for many years. So when we first knew we were going to Omaha, Marty, I started soliciting dining recommendations from friends of mine that I know go to the College World Series on a regular basis. At least those have been the ones that have, have answered most. And that really is what puts the city on the map in terms of sports. You've done an awesome job uh, with the the Royals AAA team, which is in a different stadium, but that's kind of the idea that baseball winds up in the same city every year on the, the college landscape, which is different than the Final Four and a lot of other things, is uh, really kind of a unique point of pride to Omaha, right? It is. You know, the only other that you could somewhat compare it to is a more recent relationship, and that's Oklahoma City with softball. Uh, but, you know, Omaha has been home since 1950 to the College World Series, played at Rosenblatt Stadium, which was built for professional baseball and opened to house the Omaha Cardinals in 1949, which Bob Gibson actually pitched for, and Bob Gibson's from here. Right. Played basketball at Creighton. Bob Gibson also played basketball for the Harlem Group, Globetrotters, and now Bob Gibson lives about seven minutes from Warner Park in Sarpy County. And, you know, a lot of sports connections, uh, you know, throughout the country and, and, and locally uh, in Omaha, but Yes, a lot of food, a lot of great places. I'm curious to know if anyone uh, told you to try the Drover or uh, yeah, what, that was what number one. Restaurants they did tell you. Yeah, was was Drover? Is that usually the one that comes up first for people? That that was the first recommendation I got. I've got uh, a few others too. You know, I I, I like Drover. Um, um, you know, there's a list. I'll, I'll get you a list. We won't spend all to today going over that list, but <laughs> you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of things to do in the metro. Um, immediately around, you have what's called the old market immediately around where the, the basketball is going to be held. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great spots there, a great sports bar, DJ's dugout, which is, you know, one of our partners at the ballpark is, uh, is a great place to catch, catch, catch a Budweiser right across the street, yeah. uh, uh, from, uh, CenturyLink and the old mattress factory. Uh, good night's pizza right in that area, uh, and for if someone's looking for some good live music, the slowdown is right in that area as well. And uh, Film Streams, which has a lot of unique independent films, is right across the street as well. So there's a lot of lot a lot of things right there next to the basketball. Well, awesome. That's why we wanted to have you on. I know that uh, Syracuse sold out of its ticket alignment allotment right away. I don't know how many of those fans are going out there from here, but other parts of the of the country, and certainly check it out and. You know, Syracuse fans like to go and enjoy themselves. Same with Duke, same with Kansas. Clemson is famous for passing that $2 bill around the cities that they visit. So Omaha kind of hit a home run, I think, here in terms of uh, who's showing up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're really excited. You know, it has now somewhat become the semi-permanent home to the U.S. Olympic swim trials. I'm on the Omaha Sports Commission and very fortunate to be a part of that event every four years. We recently held the U.S. Olympic curling trials. Uh, at a different building called Baxter Arena. That's where UNO plays hockey. They're one of the top ten attendance-drawing teams in the country, hockey-wise. And then that was the first time USA ever won gold there. So, you know, we're a little superstitious as well. And, you know, we're really honored to to be able to host these great events. And, uh, you know, even for us alone, we'll be hosting our very first Major League Exhibition game in our ballpark next Monday. I saw that. The Royals are coming in. That's great. Sweet 16, Elite 8. You know, it's a great, great sports city, and, and I think that Syracuse fans and all fans of the schools will really find the, the hospitality uh, is very welcoming in the Metro. And when you mentioned the zoo, the zoo is 
and I'm using air quotes, number one rated zoo in the world, and whoever ranks zoos, but uh, the zoo is really fantastic. And even this time of year where the weather may be suspect, there's so many indoor things to do, aquariums and uh, the birds and, and the gorilla cages. Uh, it's just it's just really an amazing zoo. Well, awesome. And uh, knowing our broadcast engineer, the zoo might uh, adopt him and keep him for the foreseeable future. So uh, good stuff, Marty. Can't wait to see you. And uh, thanks for the hospitality and the, the heads up. I'm looking forward to your list. Matt, I look forward to giving you that tour and let's keep that juice mojo rolling. Appreciate it. It's Marty Cordero. He's the president and general manager of the Omaha Storm Chasers. They play the Kansas City Royals on Monday. So if you are going out there, then uh, why not plan on staying right through the weekend and into Monday and go out to uh, beautiful uh, Warner Park where uh, Marty and his staff have done a great job to uh, see a major league exhibition as uh, the AAA Royals will play the major league Royals in Omaha just prior to the start of the season. So very cool stuff uh, coming up there, and we're looking forward to Omaha and all that it has to offer. You know about the Omaha steaks that get shipped to you frozen. Excited to go attack an Omaha steakhouse. We've been known to do that in uh, one city or another, and uh, they do have uh, some other options. And sounds like a very compact kind of layout. The arena that these games will be in, that Creighton plays in, is next door to the stadium that you see on television for the College World Series. And uh, then the things that he was listing off are right there in the neighborhood too. So thanks to Joe Salzone for helping out. We appreciate Marty Cordero and Chris Spatola for joining us on the program. We'll talk to you again one of these days in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.